Hi, it's Chelsea, hopping on again to remind our listeners that Quiet Connection is on Patreon. We could really use your support to help us continue creating content and spreading awareness around postpartum mental health. Some things you can expect from our Patreon account are ad-free listening, bonus episodes, and goodies in the mail once a month. Please consider joining. You can find the link on our website or you can visit patreon.com. Thanks so much. Hi, welcome to Quiet Connection, a podcast dedicated to ending the stigma around postpartum mental health. I'm Chelsea. I'm connecting with Ryan today, host of the podcast Raising Wild Hearts. She shares her journey in healing past trauma and learning to fill her own cup in order to become the confident mom she is today. Let's hear from Ryan. Hello. Today I am here with Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Chelsea. How are you today? I'm doing great. I got a little yoga session in this morning and it was very grounding. It was exactly what I needed. So I'm doing well. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. You can come into this with a nice calm and and like grounded headspace. That's amazing. Yep. Um, Ryan hosts her own podcast called Raising Wild Hearts. Um, So you should definitely check that out. And I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about that throughout this episode. But um, before we get too deep into it, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I'm a home educating mom of three young-ish kiddos. I am, like you mentioned, a podcast host. I'm super passionate about having deep and purposeful conversations. I believe that through our words, we heal. And through being witnessed, there's so much healing opportunity there. Um, I am a multi-passionate soul. So I'm currently putting on a class, a leadership class for girls ages about six through nine. I, in a past life, was kind of a coach. And um, before that, I was in higher education and worked with at-risk youth. So I've always had my heart in children. My first job was a babysitter. And so I've always really loved kids. And I'm here for the kids and not just my own kids, but our kids as a culture, as a society. Um, I think that we have many, many issues, some of them systemic, some of them you know, based in homes, some of them just based individually. And I think that if we can all collectively, at least some of us, um, really focus on the world that we're leaving for our kids, then, you know, we're going to make the world a better place just by being here now. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I'm also a, um, I was in education, so we, we tie that together. I was a special educator. And I think, um, once you're sort of in that field and working with with kids, it never leaves you and you just, yeah, you're just always committed to it. So yep. that's awesome. Who were you before you became a parent? Oh my gosh. I was like dancing on tables at bars, Chelsea. And I, <laughs> it's like, who was that person? I was a wild child. I was, I came from, you know, I don't know if I love the term, but a broken home. And my dad threatened to murder my mother essentially when I was a six month old in my crib. And he said, and I'll kill her too. And oh my God. Yes. So I was born into a very, just kind of a really rough home life. And so years later, my mother 
she's a, she's a mama bear. And she was like, oh, the hell you will, you know? And so she, in many ways, poured gasoline on that fire and made my mother and my father's relationship toxic that it couldn't go on. So she divorced him. We left. I never had a relationship with my father. He's since passed. Bless his soul. It blesses, you know, now he's back to home. Hopefully he's worked through that anger up in the ether somewhere. Um, cause he had a lot of it. He lost his first wife in a car accident and he was so, uh, he was just so hurting, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, little Ryan, that was baby Ryan. And as I grew into a big kid, I was a people pleaser. I wanted to please my mother. I wanted to please my teachers. I wanted to please everyone other than me. And so I really lost this sense of an internal compass. And so for many, many years, I looked externally to fill up this dad-sized hole that I had in my belly. Mm. And so that was through alcohol. It was through you know promiscuity when I reached that age. It was through kind of searching for love in all the wrong places. And when I turned 30 and I got married, and I started having kids, I went like, wait a minute. And it was one of my biggest awakenings to who I really am. And who I really am is not that person who was searching in all the wrong places for love. Who I really am is a whole loved, perfect being, you know, at my soul, no matter what. Um, And so it took me 30 plus years to, to find that out. And, you know, so I was I think I was struggling. I think I was lost. And in many ways, I still feel lost. You know, there's its own set of challenges that come with becoming a mother. And so I was that. And I was also, I would be called like the life of the party. And I was super (laughs) fun. I'm like, I remember when I used to be fun. Um, Oh, I hate that. I bet you're still fun. I, I, you know what? I am still fun. It's just a different kind of fun, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, in a lot of ways, I still have that person in in me, but that's a little bit of about me before kids. So it's obviously you had a very kind of crazy upbringing. Were kids sort of always on your agenda? Is that something you always wanted? Yeah. I love that question because I never was like, oh, I want kids, but I always knew I would be a mother. So mm, it wasn't a question in my being. I always loved babies. I did love to babysit. Like I I wanted to be a pediatrician. So if you would have asked, you know, five, seven-year-old Ryan what she wanted to do, it was like I wanted to be a pediatrician because I wanted to help kids. And that's what I thought helping kids was. Um, so yeah, I always knew that I would be a mom, even though I wasn't like that girl saying, oh, when I have my own babies, you know, I just, yeah. I knew it. It just was something that was going to happen. Yeah, totally. What was that journey like for you into parenthood? It was rocky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Similar to my other journeys. Yeah, I think I had a lack of support. I had a lack of a realistic idea of what the initiation into motherhood is. And so I had a really challenging labor with my first daughter and I came out the other side going like, okay, the hard part's over. And Mm. then realizing like, I was never going to sleep again. I mean, I, you know, and just 
tired beyond measure. I, and I'm sure so many of you can relate to that. I didn't have family close by. I didn't have that infrastructure. My husband had just started a brand new job. He was working 60 plus hours a week and I felt really isolated and I felt super alone and I was bored and tired and frustrated and just wanted like five minutes of peace, like to myself, you know, Mm. it was a challenge for sure. You had mentioned when we sort of were connecting beforehand that you experienced some postpartum anxiety. Was that with your first or was that with subsequent pregnancies? Yes. So that was my first. And I had read this book. I think it was called Here Comes the Rain by Brooke Shields. Um, It's about her journey to postpartum depression. And then our doula had also mentioned like, Hey, you know, this is kind of what it looks like. And she was describing like, you know, if you don't want to shower and if you don't want to do things that are like fun and if you don't feel like yourself. And so I had this like kind of limited view of what postpartum depression or anxiety was. And so for me, it really manifested in having to be the best, having to be a martyr, having to not sleep, having to make my daughter at all costs happy. Mm. And that's not really like what motherhood is. And so I I don't want to say one day I woke up, but one day I woke up and had <laughs> almost like this psychosis. I hadn't had any sleep. I felt so unsafe in my own body. All I saw was like death. Like I'm gonna mm. die. I'm gonna die. Oh my God, this is the worst thing ever. And a part of me did die that day. And it was the part of me that had to be perfect, had to put everybody else above myself, wouldn't ask for help, didn't know she had her own needs, you know? And so since then, my oldest daughter's almost nine, um, I've been unraveling those things slowly. Meeting my own needs on a daily basis can still be a challenge, you know, nine years later. And I just have so much grace for me and for all moms because we are in it. And there are so many little needs to attend to. And especially for me, somebody who grew up like kind of in this really challenging situation, I felt like I had to swing the pendulum all the way to the other side and be flipping perfect. Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't, it doesn't exist. It does not exist, you know? No, and it's not sustainable at all. No, it's not. No. Um, something that you mentioned, you mentioned feeling isolated. And that's something that I hear so often. Um, it's so common from the birthing people that I'm speaking to, that sense of isolation. Um, but then something else I wanted to touch on is you had said you didn't really have family or like a support system. And a common question that I'm getting from some of my listeners and people in my support group are, what are the resources? What do you do when you don't have that family support and you don't have those people coming in and making meals for you or letting you take a shower? For you, what did that look like? Yeah. So my godsend was a mom's group. And I had had a friend who had the same midwife as me and we just connected like, you know, by happenstance. And she said, hey, 
there's this mom's group at, it was called the Kabbalah Center. It's like kind of a spiritual, it's not necessarily religious, but it's a spiritual center. And they were hosting a mother's group weekly. Bring your kids, you know, it's during the day, like perfect. And I started going to that and that alone was just life altering. I look back on those times and I finally kind of came up above water and I had support and we were able to have these really like challenging conversations of like, oh God, this isn't all like butterflies and rainbows. Like everybody says it's going to be. And mm-hmm. we were able to be really real with that, you know, with, with each other. Um, that was really helpful. Postpartum doulas, I never had one until actually my third because I, I learned by then. <laughs> but postpartum doula, very, very helpful. Somebody to come in in the middle of the night, in the day, help you fold laundry, hold the baby for five minutes, let you shower. Um, you know, there's also free that like some of these things cost money. So there's also free support groups, La Leche League, you know, find these different systems around you. Yeah, those were those were the biggest things for me. And then as a first time mom, it's different than a third time mom. I'll just mm. go ahead and throw that out there. First time moms are like, no, I'm not giving my baby to a stranger. Third time around, I was like, here you go. <laughs> he's, you know, he's good. Let, give him back to me an hour and I'll nurse him, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and so I think the wisdom for like a first time mom is feel scary. Like it feels hard for me, it did. And just trust that your needs matter, that taking an hour break doesn't make you a bad mom, that your baby will be fine. You know, you get a referral from somebody you know, you're not just getting whoever off the street. You know, you can find people that you trust to really help you. I mean, babysitters are a thing. We, we, you know, we homeschool and we have this amazing homeschooled you know, teenager who is available during the week, during the days. And, you know, she's absolutely amazing. So if you're looking for the support and if you can identify the needs that you really are needing to feel for yourself, then I would say, you know, take it from there. My need was, I need to talk to parents. Like I need to talk to adults. I'm like talking to myself and talking to (laughs) my kid. And this is not sustainable at all. Yeah. And that can be the hardest step for a lot of brand new moms too, is saying like, okay, I need to find a group. Like, because you're feeling so locked within yourself and locked within all of these emotions and sometimes locked within your own home, it feels like taking that step and finding that group of other moms or other parents. Yeah, that sounds like that was very, very helpful for you. Did you experience the same level of sort of mental health issues with with your other children? So my second one was like a dream. The birth was like a dream. Postpartum was like a dream. I was floating on that oxytocin cloud for probably months with her. And I was really hyper aware of, okay, for me, when I start to feel overwhelmed, these are the signs and symptoms. I start to lash out. I start to get grumpy. I start to you know, pick fights. I So I knew I had a really good idea of like, these are the clues. My second one was lovely. I was still in that postpartum group. I also then had like little two-year-old toddler activities. So I was getting out and about more because I had a toddler too. And so I was keeping her busy. I was, we had like a kind of a social schedule to keep up oh, with. That's great. And yeah. So that really helped me. 
um, getting out of the house. And so with the, with my second, it was great. With my third, I wanted to have a home birth. I had a hospital birth with my two prior and with a midwife and with my third, I'm like, okay, third time around time for the home birth. We don't need to leave. La la la. Very long story short, (laughs) about 24 hours birthing at home. I, my daughters wake up in the morning and they're like, is the baby here? And I'm like, I got to like my midwife was like, I think it's time for you to transfer. And I was like, what? I didn't even have a hospital bag packed. Like it wasn't Mm. even an option in my mind. And so with my third, I grappled a lot with, oh my God, who am I if I'm not this home birthing mom? Um, Who am I to, you know, give up and go to the hospital? I thought I was like headed for a C-section. Turns out I was very ready. I had the baby 20 minutes after I arrived. Oh, man. And, you know, I think I don't want to put it all on this, but I think my team wasn't the best team for me. I think my midwife wasn't the best fit. We had a midwife swap midway. And that's kind of when I hit like this wall of not being able to dilate. So I didn't have that full embodied trust um, for my home birth. So anyway, so I grappled for a while with feelings of failure and just thinking like, oh man, that really sucked. And I also had a ton of support. My husband took weeks off of work. We had a babysitter. We had my mother. We we just had all this like infrastructure built up. And so it was a little bit of an easier ride, you know, this time too. And actually my son is about to turn two. And in many ways I do still feel postpartum. So mm. I'm still, you know, I don't like the expression getting my body back, but I'm still figuring out, you know, what's good for my body now? What do I need to focus on to feel healthy and strong and nourished? And so in a lot of ways, I'm still kind of having that experience, which is beautiful because, you know, I'm learning a ton. Yeah. And I read, um, I read this statement, which I think really rings true, is that postpartum is forever. You're never out of it. That's right. Once, once, you, once you've had a child, um, you're just, you are postpartum. Yep. Um, so it's a journey for sure. And what I think your experiences speak to is how different each pregnancy and each birth really are. I think for a lot of our moms and birthing people who experience pretty traumatic births or pretty intense postpartum um, mental health disorders with their first, it almost scares them um, into maybe not wanting to go down that path again or be like a one and done. And I am totally not advocating one way or the other. I was a one and done. My kids, I mean, I have two kids, but they are seven years apart. I I did not want any more kids. <laughs> I didn't want to go through postpartum mental health disorders again. But it really, your experience does speak to how different it is each time and how crazy that is. That's so crazy on us as women and birthing people. Like you just, yeah. you don't know what to expect. But yeah, I'm glad that you were able to sort of have a little bit of a different experience every time. You speak a lot to recognizing your needs and recognizing how to fill those needs. I like to use the term fill your own cup. Um, And when reading some of your work, I was reminded um, that you can't pour from an empty cup. Can you talk a little bit about how you juggle that, how you juggled going from wanting to be perfect mom and total opposite of like the upbringing that you had 
to sort of recognizing, no, this is what I need to do for me so that I can be there for my kids. Yeah, well, it's a journey of self-discovery. So, you know, to frame it in like a motherhood lens first, this is what's coming up for me is that we look at our kids and we want the best for them. And for me, I want to teach my kids how to know themselves, not how to do well on a test, not how to, you know, be polite. I want them to know themselves. I want them to have a compass internally. And so for us, as we grow, if we didn't have that influence, which many, I'll venture to say most of us didn't have that adult in our lives that wanted us just to know ourselves. They wanted us to be compliant, you Mm -hmm. know, obligatory and get good grades or whatever that flavor of that was in your house. And so when we grow up not knowing who we are, we grow up not knowing our needs, our passions, our desires, and we're disconnected from those parts of ourselves. Of What is it that I really freaking want? Mm -hmm. What is it that like lights me up? What is it that I could sit down and do for hours and forget that I have to pee. You know, like, (laughs) like that's a really good sign of what you're here to do. And purpose is this overarching, you know, flowery thing, but it's breadcrumbs to find the purpose. It's, it's, you follow the tiny little signals. What do you love? And then the needs are a little bit harder because we want to pretend We want to pretend that we don't have needs. We want to pretend that we are just perfect without asking for anything. We don't want to be high maintenance. We don't want to rock the boat. But I think we could start in the really basics. Like when you get up in the morning, what feels good for you to do? Is it to like shower and blow dry your hair and put makeup on? Or is it to like meditate for five minutes? Is it to put music on and dance? Is it to just go for a walk? Is it to invite your babies in bed with you and snuggle with them. Like everybody's going to have a different version of when I get up, what makes me feel really good. And, you know, it's just an experiment. You try something on and then you go like, eh, that doesn't really work. And then you try something else on and you figure it out. For me, I am an extroverted introvert. (laughs) So I need a lot of solo time. And I think, you know, we all as moms can probably relate to that. Like we are surrounded by our kids, like dripping with children, some of us, and we just need some alone time. We just need like five minutes, 10 minutes, three hours, two days (laughs) to recalibrate, you know? Um, So really being honest with yourself, it's okay if you want to be alone. It's okay if you don't want to be around your kids. You know, you can even tell them if they're older, like, hey, Mama's going to go in her room right now. I did this yesterday. I, you know, there were questions being thrown at me and I, you know, I I was like, ah, I can't think. And I go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go into my room for like five minutes or less and I'm going to go think. And I sat down on my floor. This isn't like a revolutionary thing, but it kind of is. I sat down on my floor, put my hand on my heart and my hand on my belly. I took three deep breaths and I was like, oh, okay, this is what we'll do. It was about like, what are we doing for the rest of the day? I'm like, okay, I got it. So I walk back out. I'm like, hey guys, I'm back. You know, (laughs) sometimes we just need to center ourselves and we don't. So this is another good clue. 
Are you yelling at your kids? Are you snapping at the people you love? Are you overeating, overdrinking, overconsuming Netflix, over, you know, these, um, these are signals to like, Hey, something needs to be looked at here. So, you know, we can look at those red flags and go, okay, I'm, you know, eating too much. And then it makes me feel like garbage. What is it I need? Oh, I need like, I need a friend to talk to, Mm. or I need to call my sister, or I need to, you know, it's not often going to be jump on social media. That's another, actually, that's another red flag. If you're scrolling and you're going like, oh my gosh, I'm scrolling. Cause it feels like it's chilling us out. But what it's doing is it's hijacking our brain and mm-hmm. it's going like, let me think for you. And we don't want social media thinking for us. So while it feels like a very chill activity, notice how you feel. Notice what sensations you have in your body. Notice what thoughts you're having to see if that's really healthy for you. Oh, I'm totally guilty of that. I call, yeah. they call it doom scrolling. Just doom scroll, scroll to the next. Yeah, doom scrolling. Scroll to the next, scroll to the next, and you sort of just check out. I've had another guest refer to sort of what you're talking about as glimmers, and it's sort of the opposite of a trigger. And I love that term, and I love how, how something as simple as, okay, five minutes or less, I'm going to sit in my room, I'm going to connect with myself and then we're going to start this over again. This will probably be like the third or fourth time I refer to this, but I don't know if you're a Bluey household. (laughs) We dabble in Bluey. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. we dabble. So it reminds me again of when Chili is like, I just need 20 minutes where no one is near me or no one is touching me. And I think Bluey is just as much a show for parents as it is for kids. So if you're not watching it, watch it. Um, <laughs> because yeah. it, do, it does, it's, it's, it's messages, what you're saying, you need to fill your cup, you need to be looking out for yourself and you need to look for the glimmers because when you're in the thick of it, especially in the newborn phase, especially with postpartum mental health disorders, it can be so easy to live in isolation. You know, I don't want to say it can be easy because it's not easy, but it can be very, very difficult to find the glimmers. I'm curious, where does your partner fit into all of this? Where does your, where does dad fit into this whole journey? Yeah. Was he supportive throughout the way? He was, he had just got a new job when you had your first. Yeah. So what did that look like? You know, I, everybody tells me this like great man I am married to. Everybody is <laughs> like, oh my God, your husband's amazing. I'm like, yeah, yeah, he's okay. But really, <laughs> like, he's fine. Live with him. I, you know, the marriage relationship can be one of the most challenging because for me, and again, I would argue for everybody, it brings up stuff from our past and it brings up traumas and beliefs and stories that need to be healed. And some would venture to say that the purpose of romantic relationships is to heal, is to go through those challenges and that adversity. So all that said... My husband is fucking amazing. And also, like, we each have our own struggles individually. So he was really, really supportive after and only after I was like, I'm dying. I can't do this anymore. And he's like, oh, okay, I guess I'll jump in. And so he jumped in. He was up in the middle of the night with her. He was – and because – 
I think it was about five months is when the floor dropped under with my first. And he was like, okay, I'm in, you know, tag me in. He didn't know I needed him until Mm. like it, everything blew up. Um, so yeah, he was wildly supportive. He had his shush like down pat. She loved to be shushed. And so we, (laughs) he'd just walk around like constantly. And it's like, my shush hurts. Like, my shush is tired. (laughs) Um, oh my God, we shush so much that girl. Um, so yeah, he was wildly supportive and, He's really, you know, I like to describe him in that he has two sisters and he may be the most sensitive one of all of them, even (laughs) of the three kids that he has in his household. And so he just, he understands like women and their needs and he understands my emotions. He is a very um, sacred container for me being wild and free. So Mm. traditionally masculine presence is a container. It's this, um, strong, but firm presence and it's, um, steady like this. And typically the feminine is flowy and emotional and whimsical and, you know, and this is speaking traditionally and we all have masculine and feminine in us. And so he holds this very steady line for me to just be wild. And so it works out really well. And so he holds space for me when I'm having a hard time, even now, probably forever. And so, and we've worked on that. And I, you know, he, I told him like, oh my God, all I need for you to do is just like sit here and let me cry on you for Mm. 10 minutes, you know? And so he's really, really great at that. And I'm very thankful for that because I think partner support can be one of the things that sometimes is lacking. And this is not to say there's any perfect partner out there because there's just not. And it's just, there are challenges for everything. But yeah, he was, he was really supportive and continues to be so. He wants to do the right thing for me. He wants to do the right thing for his family. And, you know, he's got a career. He's full-time supporting our household mostly. He's got two jobs. Like he's just, you know, he's got his own thing too. And so we found you know, nine years later, that he's really needing to step more into this traditional masculine role. And I'm really needing to step in more to this feminine role, which I was not very accustomed to. You asked me who I was before I had kids. I had a career. I had a job. I made money. I made the decisions. I was driven. I was busy. I was, uh, you know, having conversations in boardrooms and doing all these things. And those are typically very masculine activities. And so when I was like wound up at home with a baby, like hanging off my boob for hours on end, I was like, what is this like motherhood Uh. you speak of? I was, it was so strange. So I'm finding for me, stepping into my feminine essence is helping that balance in the relationship. And it's helping him support me more too because I'm, I can be this and he can be this. And that polarity is kind of what makes it work. It works for you guys. Yeah. And I would argue, I, I heard you say like you were making decisions and you were doing this and you were doing that. And like, you're still doing those things. You're just doing them in a different way. Yeah, that's yeah. true. I'm, I feel very much like the CEO of our household yeah. for sure. And, you know, much of that, a lot of that I need to relinquish the control on, not a lot of it. Some of it, right? 
Mm. I can't do all the things, be in all the places, making all the decisions, right? And so there's this fine, strange line that we are towing constantly, you know? Yeah. Well, especially as, as the default parent, which often falls to mom, making all of the decisions and making all of the plans and thinking 10 steps ahead. So yeah, I just don't want you to diminish who you are to your family. You're still you're still a badass, it sounds like. So for sure, right? This <laughs> traditional view of a badass is not necessarily, you know, embodied in motherhood. But you're right. We are badasses. We yes. do so much. We are our presence even is just monumental for mm-hmm. our children and our partner. Everybody. Uh, we Mama makes the home go round. I mean, yeah. we're like the the little, you know, moon or sun or whatever it is that all these little planets like revolve around, whatever. So, yeah. I would love to hear more about your whole journey into what you call unschooling or nature schooling. Um, so you're homeschooling your kids. I what what is that like? I want to oh hear God. about it. Yeah, it's crazy. So I never wanted to be a homeschooler. If you would have told me 10 years ago, even like five years ago, six years ago, that I'd be homeschooling, I would have laughed. We moved to our neighborhood for the public school district. We, I switched from public to private as I grew up. And so private school was always kind of an option out there. Never thought homeschooling was an option though. Never thought it was going to happen. <laughs> Uh, no, that's not me. I couldn't do that. No way. And one day I woke up and again, let you know, those, those days when you wake up and you just realize all of life's mysteries, I, you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm an educator. And I was reading in one of my past journals of, I like to like flip back through every now and then and just see how far I've come and you know, what I'm still working on. Amazingly, a lot of the same themes come up and up and up, you know, (laughs) these patterns but I had written in there, like, I, I think it was just, I am an educator. Like I had this like light bulb moment and this was like years prior. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if you've read the alchemist, but I, it's kind of a spoiler alert. This boy goes on this journey to find this treasure. And in the end, the treasure was right where he started the journey. and. He needed the journey. Don't get me wrong. He needed it. But it was just like when it comes full circle, it's like, whoa. And I highly recommend that book. It's one of my favorites. I read it every year. The Alchemist by Paolo, Pablo Coelho, I think is what it is. So never thought I was going to do it. And then, of course, 2020, 2020 run rolled around. My oldest daughter was getting ready to go into kindergarten. And I was like, well, here we go. And so it wasn't an option for me to send her to any school at that point. Um, They had attended a play-based preschool, which closed down. They were also part-time at a Montessori school. So I had, you know, I had them in school and the idea was like, okay, time for kindergarten. And so 2020 rolled around and it was like, well, this isn't happening. I guess I'm going to homeschool. And I had a group of moms who we created a co-op and it was just a very nature-led, play-based kind of a spot. And so we did that for a few days. There were very little to none formal academics and we just played and we went on field trips and we had fun. And my little daughter, we didn't have my third yet, came along for the ride and just played too. Um, And then it went fine. 
And last year we decided to put them full-time in a private nature school in our county. And that was okay too. And through the year though, I realized there are needs that aren't being met for specifically one of my kids. And so I went back to the drawing board and I went, okay, what's next? And I really got quiet and asked, what's good for her? What's good for me? What's good for the other kids? What's good for the family as a whole? And ultimately what we landed on was that homeschooling was the way. And there are so many resources. There's so much support. Depending on what state you live in, there are different laws and different requirements that need to be met. But it is a journey and it's one of the best journeys I've been on for sure. I, you know, yesterday there, my kids are home with me on Fridays and, you know, all day. And I was like feeling this like familiar twinge of like, Ooh, I'm really bored. Ooh, I'd rather be doing a podcast interview. Ooh, I'd rather <laughs> be sitting down writing a blog. Oh, how about that email? And so I noticed that I have to keep coming back to, okay, right now, this is what we're doing. Like being present you know, doing some workbook work, doing some of this. And this is the first year we've done many formal academics. And so it's been taking, it's taking a lot to get used to, honestly, yeah. to like sit down and do like, okay, now this is our math work. This is our English work. And so I don't have like a strong opinion on that yet, but it's definitely just, that's where we're at in our journey. And it's, you know, it's been good for us so far. And honestly, we take it year by year. Nothing is permanent. Nothing is forever. I told them yesterday, I'm like, if you guys ever want to go to school, let me know. Like you guys are in charge of your own education just as much as I am. I really try and look at what are they interested in? Who are they? You know, what lights them up? And so a lot of it, the majority of it is just observing, which is really fun because then you get to get to know your kids in a different lens of like non-judgmental observer. I'm just observing. It's not like, oh my gosh, they're not good at English or, oh my gosh, they're excellent at math. No, good, bad, and different doesn't matter. Like just observe, you know, observation. That's it. So what are you interested in? I love that. I love that you, it's kind of like a full circle thing for you where you had this, this need again, I'm bringing it back, but like you had this need to be perfect and and check all the boxes and fill all the holes and do all the things but you're now looking at your kids and being like who are you you do you and yeah. i'm just here for the ride i love that's right. that that's amazing so in terms of your healing journey in terms of coming from a place of anxiety and maybe depression with your first and then getting to this place where you are now where you're like i can take care of me I can take care of me and I can take care of my kids. You had mentioned when we were connecting before that there is no one size fits all in terms of healing. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. So I think the standard protocol is like, okay, you're you're having some feelings. Here's a pill, you know? Mm. And I'm I did utilize medication for a short amount of time. I want to say it was between two and three months with my first. And I didn't love that. But at the time with this like major floor dropping out, it was like, okay, I'll give it a try. I wasn't opposed to anything, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing is off the table when you're like worried about your life. So 
Yeah. So I utilized medication after I just, I, I didn't taper off of it. I just like cold turkey. I was like, okay, I'm Oh done. boy. I'm just, well, it, you know, and it, also it was two months. Yeah. I think it was two and a half months. And I was like going on a trip and I was like, I don't need this anymore. I'm feeling good. And so I stopped taking it. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, so, you know, I just don't think I, I look back and I go, okay. And retrospect is always, you know, 2020. Right. But I look back and I go, okay, what did I really need? There was this stuff that was bubbling up for me that was old trauma, limiting beliefs. I wasn't getting any sleep. And so I needed this like, I needed this village of support. I needed somebody to talk to. I needed somebody to like cook me some chicken soup and like put me down for a nap. (laughs) I needed, you know, the community that I found of moms. I needed all these different things. And what happens when we call our practitioners, and there's really like one or two questions asked, and then the prescription is written out. What happens is we're urged to not explore where's this coming from, not feel our feelings, and not to ask what's really going on here. So in essence, it's like this Band-Aid. We're trying to stop the symptom. So stop the symptom. And I think that it's just more of a holistic problem where we need to look at all the five to seven facets of our life and go, okay, what's filled, what's empty, what needs to be looked at, where do we need support? Why can't we feel our feelings? Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know that there was more than like happy, sad, or mad. Mm. Like there's like all these nuanced feelings. And before the age of 30, I was like, oh yeah, happy, sad, mad. Yeah, those are it. And we're just like, you know, now social emotional learning, social emotional awareness, it's a bigger thing. It's starting to become mainstream. I think it's great. And for those of us who didn't have any, you know, feelings training, whether through modeling in our homes or even just like curriculum at school, you know, we grow up and we go like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling something. Nope. Got to stop it. Stop it right now. Where what needs to happen is it needs to be felt, worked through, processed. Obviously, I recommend getting practitioners to help. Somatic practitioners, traditional practitioners, Reiki healers, uh, yoga teachers, all of it, you know, talk therapists, everything, right? So it's, I just think that we need to look at it more holistically. So for me, what helped after that is going like, okay, it's not just here, take this pill and it'll all go away. It's like, okay, why can't I feel fear without Mm -hmm. feeling like I'm going to die? What's up with that? Where did that come from? Probably from when I was a baby, six months old in my crib and my dad was threatening to kill my mom. And I was, you know, right. And so if we don't give ourselves opportunities to look at what happened in the past and heal it and like let it go once and for all and to be able to have a conversation like this about it, then we're going to be holding on to those things forever. We're mm-hmm. going to be passing it down to our kids. They're going to be passing it down to their kids. You know, the old adage is like when you heal yourself, you heal seven generations forward and seven generations back. And I truly believe that we can change the world just by starting at home with us. Like it's all right here. It's all in our mind, in our heart, in our body. And when we can learn 
to be in our body and to feel safe in our body and to be here on this planet where we are right now, we're losing that opportunity when we go with this one size fits all approach. Um, So I feel like it's just multifaceted and it's also obviously very different for everybody, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the themes that I'm getting are presence and being present, um, which is incredibly hard and difficult as a parent, staying in the present moment. And then a theme that I hear in almost every episode I do is community and how deeply we as birthing people need that community. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Presence and community. So I'll kind of wrap it up with a question that I ask everyone. I kind of sort of start every episode the same and end every episode the same, but I always am surprised by my answers. If you could go back in time and not tell yourself the experiences that you're going to go through, not sort of give yourself any warning, but tell yourself one thing in order to get you through something that like something that you know would get you through the hard times without giving away what they might be. What would you tell yourself? I love that question. So I already hinted to this, but it would be be in your body. Feel your body. Feel your feet on the ground. Feel your hand on the table. Be in your body. You're safe. You're loved. You're protected. You're held. You're guided. Be here now. Just be here with all of it. I love it. It's that presence thing again. Yeah. And I think that's a message that a lot of our our moms and birthing people need to hear. Is there anything that you wanted to hit upon that I did not ask about? So I think when I say we can change the world by starting at home, you know, I'm like this visionary, Aquarius, like flowery, like thinker. Girl, Aquarius. Oh, nice. I love (laughs) it. See, there we go. Love Aquarius. Cosmic connection. That's right. That's right. (laughs) Um, So I can have this like super woo, like, you know, feel to me because I'm like, oh, we can just change the world by starting at home. And I just (laughs) want to anchor in like the truth and relevancy of that. Because if we look outside, if we turn on the news, if we look on social media, we can see this divisiveness. We can see people fighting over the argument of the day. I mean, vaxxed, not vaxxed, left, right, blue, red, da 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 da. I mean, you can find an argument to, to get into, right? When we realize that we don't need to look out there, it's the, the conflict, the argument is with our own selves. Like, we are having these, you know, challenges in our own minds, in our own experiences, in our own homes, with our partners, with our kids. We're, you know, picking fights or doing this and doing that. And so I really do believe that like the new world, a better world, a more conscious world does start within the four walls of our home. I really do believe that when we take a look at these things of like, you know, people will call it consciousness. People will call it awareness. When we become aware of what we're doing, why we're doing it, 
what we need, what we want, then that has this massive ripple effect. First in our homes. And then when we go outside our homes, we smile at someone, we look at someone in the eye. Like how often do you go out into the world and someone looks you in the eye, Mm. like truly looks at you and goes like, thank you. You know, and the more the little things like that happen, you know, your kids are going to go to their school or to their co-op or to their this, and your husband's going to go to work and he's going to be happier because you've, you know, given him something that he, or you've worked through something with him and your relationship is feeling really great. You know, it's just the ripple effect is real. And we may never know how many lives we touch. This podcast, Chelsea, is touching people's minds and hearts. And it's, it's helping people through these really hard times. You know, it's, it's putting something in people's ears that is so beautiful and helpful to let them know they are not alone. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so the conversations like this one, which I value so much and like the ones I have on my podcast, Raising Wild Hearts, like they are just so healing to be witnessed and to witness another in their healing journey is it's beautiful. It's the best thing. And my dog clearly agrees. I have really enjoyed this conversation. I felt a lot of connection with so many things that you said. I'm I also find myself, my partner's downstairs and he's probably rolling his eyes, but I'm finding myself wanting to look into homeschooling a little bit. But let no, me know I, if you need some guidance. I'm happy. I'm happy to be a resource for you to just bounce ideas and questions off of. I really am. I, I appreciate that. But no, I just I really appreciate a lot of what you said. I think a lot of our listeners are gonna resonate with a lot of the things that you said and a lot of our, our new moms are going to pull some things that they really need to hear. So I, I super appreciate you coming on. I'm so glad that we connected and everybody check out um, Ryan's podcast, Raising Wild Hearts. And yeah, just thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Chelsea. It was so great to be here. Thanks for the work you're doing. It's important. Thanks again to Ryan for joining me. I loved our session. It reminded me to be present and acknowledge my needs as an individual, not just as a mom. If you want to follow along with us on Quiet Connection, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Threads at Quiet Connection or at Quiet Connection Podcast. You can support our community by writing a review on your favorite podcast platform and sharing our episodes on social media. You could also consider becoming a Patreon member and gain access to things like bonus episodes, ad-free listening, and goodies in the mail once a month. If you'd like to share your personal journey, you can reach us through our website, quietconnectionpodcast.com, or by email at quietconnectionppmh at gmail.com. Join us next time when another story is told and you realize you are not alone. I see you.